1: about to listen to the Dr. Dahlia show sassy stimulating medical talk radio any medical advice dr. Dahlia wax gives on her show should not be substituted for an actual visit to your medical provider and now here's dr Dalia doctor,
2: doctor give me the news I we are back.
3: Dr. Dolly show. thank you all for tuning in. 877 Doc Dolly, 1877 D O C D A L I. Jerry wants to know if Medicare will cover weight loss drugs. She's overweight. She wants to try it, but she doesn't know if Medicare is going to cover it and she can't get an answer from her doctor. So I'm under the impression that the answer is eh. Okay. <laughs> That's the answer to that question. Uh, 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 Maybe. I don't know. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing a lot of older individuals fill prescriptions for those. Now, why is that? So to get a prescription for a weight loss drug, you can't use a lot of the um, standard telemedicine companies. Telemedicine companies have to, have to be very careful whenever there's a shortage of drugs, Now, such as what we had with the diabetic medications, Ozempic and Majaro, We couldn't just write it over the phone because we can't test you, we can't watch you, monitor you, check you for side effects. So a lot of telemedicine companies won't do it. There are companies that are advertising online. They find a doctor who will write the medication for you online. You pay a fee. They give you the prescription, but they say very clearly on the website that that fee does not include the cost of the weight loss drug. So you need to take that said prescription to your pharmacy. If the pharmacy doesn't cover it, Nope. Or the the insurance doesn't cover it. You pay whatever the pharmacy says you have to pay. Now, there are prior authorizations. A doctor can negotiate with your insurance company to get it paid for. Now, I'm not sure if some of these online doctors are doing it, but your in-person family medicine provider, internist, geriatrician would have a back office team Well, now we have virtual back office companies that might not necessarily be on site to try to get the prior offs. That takes time. And so the reason why we're not seeing many older individuals on the medication is one is you have to get in with your provider, get an appointment, and the average person can't get in with their medical provider for three, four months. Then they get into their medical provider, and sometimes a medical provider, if they've had lack of success getting insurance to cover it, because I don't think regular Medicare covers it, they might talk people out of it and say, you know what? I'm telling you right now, if we can't get this approved, or if we can't get it approved only temporarily, you could gain the way back. I'd rather you do something else. But we do have many individuals with diabetes over the age of 65, and many individuals that are overweight. And I am a huge fan of Ozempic and Manjaro being used as part of a treatment plan for diabetes. For weight loss drugs, when you're 65 and older, I do worry a little bit about the gastroparesis, the uh, semi-paralysis of the intestine and the lack of movement that might happen with the drugs. Um, I am a little concerned about the pancreatitis and the long-term implications of that, and I'm very, very worried about the rebound. I don't think it's healthy to drop 60 pounds just to gain it back when you can't get the drug anymore. As you know, Ozempic, which counterpart is Wagovi, uh, is a semi-glutide, known as semiglutide. It's the leading GLP-1 receptor agonist. Works by mimicking naturally occurring GLP-1 hormone released by the body and the stomach in response to eating. Controls blood sugar by activating the GLP-1 receptor to enhance insulin secretion, slowing gastric emptying. Now, U.S. News report... Says that Ozempic, in one study, cut the hemoglobin A1c, which is how sugary your blood cells are, levels down by 1.8% at the high dose versus 1.4% with somebody taking another one called Trulicity. And one study showed that somebody lost an average of 12.4, in the studies, individuals lost 12.4% of their body weight. Now, I'm hearing some people are losing a third of their body weight, but again, does it last if you can't stay on the medication, do you gain the way back? They say 80% of people will gain the way back. And I think that's even an understatement. So side effects of Ozempic are abdominal pain, constipation, diarrhea, fatigue, nausea, vomiting, pancreatitis, ileus, um, uh, gastroparesis. So original Medicare covers your hospitalization costs and your doctor bills and medical expenses under Part B. So Part A is hospitalization, Part B is your medical expenses. Original Medicare does not cover prescription drugs, which, by the way, I think is flippant stupid. Doesn't make any sense to me that we have a plan for our seniors that they put money into their whole lives, and it doesn't cover the prescriptions. So seniors have to, on top of that, enroll in Medicare Part D or Medicare Part C, Medicare Advantage. So they have to pay extra. Medicare Part D and some Medicare Advantage plans will cover the Ozempic for diabetes. For weight loss, that's a little trickier. So what I tell individuals is if they want the medication strictly for weight loss, talk to your doctor, but understand you might, you know, come into some obstacles. But if you have diabetes or you're pre-diabetic, insurance such as Medicare Part D or Medicare Advantage plan may cover it. So... You uh, uh, Keep in mind also, these drugs are not generic. This might loosen up and become a little easier once these medications go off patent, but that could be years from now. But right now, they are brand-name Tier 3 drugs, which is an expensive medication with no generic versions. And some of these medications cost anywhere from... $1,200 Twelve hundred to sixteen hundred a month. So contact the drug companies for coupons. Um, Google or GoodRx might help. But if you are prone to diabetes, they it might be able to get covered. One eight seven seven Dr. Dolly. Doctor Dalia here.
4: The complete website is com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100, com.
5: I had no idea it would destroy my life, but before it happened, I had a successful business in Austin, Texas. Everyone laughed at me when I shut that business down, but I could not ignore the wake-up call. I was volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a school. That project was a complete failure, and I discovered that there were few local farmers, there's only four days' worth of food in the grocery stores, and everything comes 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. I lost friends and family who told me I was crazy to worry about that. But I kept at it. I'm Marjorie Wildcraft. Those of us who know what's going on in the world know you need to become self-reliant before the dollar collapses. I've created a free webinar at GCNfood.com. I can show you, like I've shown hundreds of thousands of people, how to grow lots of food, even if you have no experience, you're older or you're out of shape. Do it now before the stores are boarded up and food is not available at any price. Go to GCNfood.com. GCNfood.com. Do
0: you know someone with a drug or alcohol problem?
3: in, one eight seven seven 877 doc dali one docdali Big thanks to Genesis Communications Network for making the show happen. Big thanks to Jason, our producer, and big thanks to you all for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Dr. Dahlia and on Facebook, The Dr. Dahlia Show. So I got a very fascinating email last night asking about maternal instincts and why women are tending to become more liberal, why wouldn't the maternal instincts or whatever biological clock or whatever other stereotypes women have had, why would that, shall we say, predilect them to being more liberal than conservative? So maternal instinct, that's kind of interesting. Um, I've always been fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by those stories where a mom will lift up a car to save her baby, yeah. You know, I think your maternal animalistic instincts, you know, I are. I I don't think women know the capabilities that they have. I mean, mama bear. I got to tell you, nobody has really brought out the mama bear that I think I have in me, and I almost don't want to see it. I don't know what that would look like. But I'm telling you right now, anything, I mean, my kids come first. I am so protective of the kids. I mean, not always. I'm not always like, oh, you know, let me wipe your tushy. Not that kind of thing. But I think it is in our DNA that we, you know, protect the kids and then, of course, protect the grandkids. So uh, I maternal instincts, I think, are real. I think there's a lot of, um, shall we say, uh, Things We might be able to do and might not realize certain strengths or resilience we have. And in fact, with colds and with infection, I think that's one of the reasons why some moms do better when they have the flu or COVID or an illness. Moms can still get cancer. Moms can still die of COVID. Moms can still have diabetes and other things. But men aren't babies. When they say, oh, my gosh, look at daddy. Daddy has to be in bed when mommy, you know, still is running the house. I I think we have a resilience. I, I think, one, there might be a resilience. Or, two, men may have such a more dramatic immune response that they do suffer more. I think things are more painful for my husband than they are for me. For us to go through the labor, for us to go through the monthly menstrual cramps, I do think there's a protective effect. So biologically, I think that's there. But but this question looks at the politics of things. Apparently, there was an article showing that the liberal gap is opening up between U.S. men and women. More women are becoming more liberal. And so uh, the, the listener was alluding to, you know, do they not think the fetus is alive? Do they? So before anybody falls into this trap, and and I, I urge women too as well, understand that liberal versus conservatism is very fluid. So you know, women having the ability to vote, suffrage, was that Republican or Democrat? was freeing the slaves during Civil War time. Well, that was Republican at the time. The Republicans wanted, well, slavery to be abolished. So the the political narratives and affiliations and the flips are, was it Bill Clinton that said, don't ask, don't tell? So it's very fluid, and so, what appears to be liberal now may not be liberal later. Maternal instincts; those might be more constant. But you know how people feel politically—that's a whole other thing. And so, when I get asked—and this isn't the first time I've been asked—how does a woman not think the fetus is alive? You can't look at pro-choice, pro-life as two completely separate entities. I learned that in medical school when a bunch of students in the class did not want to learn how to do abortions. And when people, but you're pro-choice, aren't you? And they said, look, I might be for choice of a woman's body, but I'm not going to kill the baby. So, you know, TV and media and politicians make it look like things are just black, white, right, left, you have many individuals that absolutely think... A fe- you, when you're pregnant and you hear that heartbeat, I can't speak for all pregnant women, but wow. Boy, is that real. When you feel the flutter, when you feel the kick, I, that's a baby to me. Now, some might say, oh, it's just gas. But I've I, I seen how... Mo- I. I I think there are a lot of women that you know look at pregnancy and look at the fetus as alive, and and so I don't think the Roe v. Wade discussion should be hijacked, and and I, I think it's a completely wrong discussion to be accusing a fetus of not being a live entity because now that's going to affect maternal fetal medicine. It's going to affect government subsidies to help pregnant women. Democrats have to be extremely careful saying a fetus is not alive because you can now mess up so much fetal care. There's so many you know government programs we have to help pregnant women to protect the fetus. So, that's something that that I, I've, I so we really need to be careful with what's happening in politics. Now, what is driving liberalism? Is it the LGBTQ uh, discussions? Well, many of us uh, yep, have friends, family members who are LGBTQAI plus. Republicans are not against LGBTQAI plus. They might have certain opinions on what gets taught in school waiting till the third grade or after the third grade, but not before the third grade in terms of discussion of sex. some may be be completely against it, but in terms of the average republican, the average republican looks at women should have a right to you know participate in sports without um being shall we say out outrun or overpowered by somebody who could be a a biological male. Now women's sports and protecting women's sports from men used to be liberal. That was a democratic ideology. Women in sports now it's republican. Is it really or do, do the average republican and democrat not look at it as a republican or democrat thing so you know but we we have to kind of be careful with that you know uh, from a sociological standpoint you know they they say women always kind of tended to be more um liberal but when you have women that are pro women sports pro women identity you know women power Women that that now that's seeming to go against transgender rights in sports and schools. So I think it's starting to blend. It's starting to mix, and I also think women don't want to be stereotyped as what drives them are the LGBTQ AI plus agenda or the um, uh, maternal agenda. Women also have an opinion. On national security. What are women's issues? Just like men's issues. Women are also concerned about the economy. Women are concerned about national security. Women are concerned about education. They're, they're concerned about health care. So I don't know how accurate some of these, shall we say, you know, polls are. Because the average woman I know... Wants to make sure that there's good education, that there's good economy, that the country's safe, that there's safety in schools, that she has the right to protect her family, that she has equal access to a sport, equal access to a job, equal pay for equal work, ability to still hold a job while she has to breastfeed and manage kids. The the average mom thinks all of these are important issues. But politics are going back and forth. And so what used to be a Democrat issue is Republican. What used to be a Republican issue is now. So be careful with that. That's all I'm saying. And don't stereotype just because somebody is a biological female that they're liberal or a biological male is conservative Because I I see a mixture, and I see the majority of people are pretty central and moderate and just want common sense. one 877
7: It's easy to see. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust.
8: USA News Update: Police say they took two people into custody shortly after a shooting that left one dead and more than a dozen others wounded at the Chiefs Super Bowl parade in Kansas City Wednesday.
6: We hop over, I, I hit my face.
8: One Chiefs fan who took shelter in the landmark Union Station nearby. The Chiefs offered condolences, did confirm all their players, coaches, staff, and families were safe. Democratic Congressman James Clyburn of South Carolina is stepping down from his leadership role on Capitol Hill. The 83-year-old Clyburn served both as the House Majority Whip and the assistant Democratic leader in the House in the past, he tells WIS-TV in Columbia, South Carolina, he now plans to get more involved in President Biden's re-election campaign. Elon Musk's Starlink satellite internet company is making a deal with the Israeli government now. The nation's officials announced Starlink technology will be used in Israel and parts of the Gaza Strip. I'm Ryan Daniels, USA News.
9: you <laughs>
3: One eight seven seven Doc Dolly one eight seven seven D O C D A L I. So, what was the most dangerous thing you ever did? Did you ever ride on top of a car? Did you ever stand on top of a subway? I mean, I think the most dangerous thing I did was do some black diamond skiing. When I maybe wasn't entirely ready and then I hit a mogul and then I popped my knee and I'm still suffering from that, you know, but that, I mean, I was skiing. I'm not a big daredevil. Bungee jumping was starting to get popular and I was like, no, thank you. Not for me. Well, as these kids watch these movies and they see people standing on trains, you know, like Mission Impossible and some of the other, you know, sort of. Uh, Avengers, things like that, where they're on top of trains, or uh, Fast and Furious, where they're doing donuts. Um, Yeah, the movies aren't real, and I understand these stunts get a lot of oohs and ahs, but people are killing themselves and killing others. Wasn't there just an accident when somebody was doing donuts, and then they ran into a crowd because they lost control of the car? Because they're not (laughs) you know, Equipped and experienced uh, um, you know, car drivers when it comes to stunts. They're not stunt drivers. Um, we are hearing young adults falling off ledges of mountains and trails to get selfies. I mean, that's dangerous stuff. You're know, you, you trying to get a picture, trying to get the oohs and the ahs. Well, now, we have something called Subway Surfers, where people will just walk across the top of a subway. And apparently, police are on the hunt, looking for two men who were having sex on top of it. So not only were they on top of moving train seven, as it was, I think, paralleling the Van Wick, but they were having sex on top of it. And there was a third person either watching it or filming it, so not sure what's going on. But this happened, broad daylight, 1.20 p.m. last Friday, and, um, you know, that's dangerous. I mean, one, I don't know if the sex was protected, but two, you could very easily lose your balance. We don't know who they were, and of course, people are looking for it now, and there's an investigation. But apparently, the subway surfing is a reckless activity that lots of people are doing. The NYCT subway account commented and on um, Eli's post, asking for them to uh, for direct message for further details because obviously they want to figure out what the hell is going on. They also want to stop these kids or young people. From getting on top of the, so I, I don't even know how you would get on top of one unless maybe you jump from a bridge. But apparently it's a very common thing. I'm looking at a video right now of eight people who are on the, who are, I, I don't know how fast subways go, but unfortunately workers are saying you don't know how bad it is when these things go wrong. Adam Brace, 14 years old, fell off a Coney Island bound F train in Brooklyn. He was riding on top of the train and died at the scene. You know, these are, I I don't understand. I think people want the fame. They want the, um, uh, there was, uh, I think, two other kids. Jay Thurunapuram, 15 years old, was found near the tracks near the Rhode Island Avenue station. And Jevin Frazier, 14 years old also died subway surfing when he fell from a t- train in Queens. I don't get it. I, if I were these kids' parents, I would be out of my mind. Who's watching these kids? Now, I, I get kids be kids. Kids are like, I, but uh, really? That's some dangerous stuff. We're hearing kids are standing on top of cars. The cars are driving down the street and people are filming them. In 2022, the MTA, which is, I think, the Metropolitan Transit Authority, reported 928 instances of people riding outside on top of or in between trains. This is compared to just 206 in 2021. In the first six months of 2023, there's been 450 reports of people whose subway surf throughout the city. Now, I don't have subways where I live. I think California has subways, and but we, we see these kids do stunts. I think there was somebody who climbed the sphere. He was trying to do it to raise money, I believe, for his wife with cancer. But you know, stunts, That listen, I, I live in Las Vegas. We had Evel Knievel, and, you know, so I, I get stunts have always been around, but we have amateurs doing them. And they're our kids, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds dying. This this lends the question or begs the question: Where are the parents? Where do these kids have time? One twenty on a Friday? Aren't they still at school? It's, I thought school got out at like two thirty. What, what about? That's why I said change school. School needs to be twenty to thirty minute hardcore. You know, just the core education in the morning and then the afternoon is all of the practical learning and that goes till five there's a a, 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 you'll do a a unit on construction a unit on farming a unit on self-defense a unit on exercise a unit on education and you get to see the practical aspect of working as well as as doing group projects and such that by the time you're a sophomore in high school, you have a pretty good idea of what jobs are out there and what you might want to do. You graduate as a sophomore and then senior, then junior and senior year is now your associate's degree learning. And those are full days. You get a lot more done. You have less time to be riding on a subway. If you need to have an after-school job, we could stop school at 3 o'clock. That's fine, too. Or there's a way where people can make money while doing their internships or their learning. There's a whole bunch of things we could do to make a child's afternoon time less dangerous. But the average person does not know where their kids are. You know, I love the phone tracking that iPhone has where you know where your family is. It's interesting because I thought my kids would not want me to have that function or use that function. But they like it because I don't text them or call them all the time. Where are you? Where are you? Are you okay? I rarely text or call my kids. It's rare. And I rarely have to check because I kind of know where they are. And it's kind of nice. But I think as a parent, it's important to know what's going on. And maybe it's because many of these kids don't have families. Maybe it's, you know, that families are just trying to do what they need to do, or they're working, or they're, I I don't know. Uh, But I, I really worry about our youth, and I also worry about this obsession we have of getting on camera. What has happened is there have been people that have made, gotten followers, made money getting followers, and their content has to become more and more extreme. Uh, what was that person who was eating ridiculous amounts of food and he became famous? I'm thinking to myself, this guy's going to have a heart attack or he's going to put himself into pancreatitis or no, was liver failure. I, I don't know what the heck he was doing to himself. But he was making money. And these kids are watching him. And these videos and these, you know, people blowing things up. It's everyone's trying to be famous or they're being models. You know, if somebody told me that I could be a model, I'd be like, you're kidding. Now with filters and with angles, I could model. I know. Is that crazy? Who'd want to look at it? I don't know. one duck Don't go away. We're back on the Doctor Dolly Show, 877 Doc Dolly, one eight seven seven D O C D A L I. So this is a fascinating question that keeps coming up: kids and religion. Are we becoming less religious? Is religion becoming taboo? I've been asked, how do you bring up religion to kids? Many families now have been split. Some don't go to church anymore. Some don't go to temple. There's always a discussion or an argument on which religion. And it's it's um, pretty complex. And sometimes it's so complex that families just don't even know where to go with it. And so the question is: is, do we introduce kids to religion? And if so, how? How do you bring up religion with kids? So for me... You know, everybody has their own different, uh, I guess, experience with it. Some of us have horrible experiences with religion. Kids in Sunday school were bullies. People were mean to you. You got in trouble or yelled at when you weren't sitting in service properly. So your memories of it is you hated it. Others found it to be a refuge. Found religion to give them that strength give them that 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 compass, and help them through horrible, horrible things that happened in their life. And so you have to understand that your experience with religion might be very completely different to somebody else's. But we have a lot of virgins when it comes to religion. And in a world, or especially a country such as ours, that seems to be starting to become more anti-religion, is it a good idea to bring it up and if so how do you do that so you now some families it just there's just no question there's you go to Sunday school you go to Catholic school you go to Hebrew school you go to mosque you go to you do everything you have to do and just no ifs ands or buts um I, I don't like the forcing of it. I noticed there's many individuals that really hated their experience. And you also don't want to dilute it by making it super fun, you know, where you change the holiday just to make it more palatable. you know. Religion is religion for a reason. And so for me, I think one of the first times I realized that there was a practical application of religion is when my grandfather died. My grandfather was the first person in my life who died from what I could remember. And I remember my mom said, you could touch him, touch his face. I remember touching his face. It was hard, it was firm, it was dry, and it was cold. And I'm horrified by the thought that somebody who I loved is now gone. But my parents explained to me what they believed in, in terms of he's with God, he's with, and that helped me understand that it's not all lights out. For me, that's what I want to believe. I want to believe that it's not all lights out, like when you go in for surgery. I want to believe that there is an afterlife, that there's another purpose, that that life, and I've come up with this myself, it's not a part of my religion, that life is a um, job interview. and God is watching us and deciding where he needs us. My uncle, who died as a kid before I was born of leukemia, was an angel, wasn't a bad person. Death doesn't happen to bad people. Death happens when God needs you in another arena. And he died fast of leukemia, and he's gone. And my family before me didn't understand why that would happen, why him. I look at it as, okay, well, he passed the interview. See me, I'm still here. God's still looking at me like, I, I really don't know where to put... <laughs> where do I put Dahlia? Shipping and receiving? So I feel like, you know, I, God is still watching me and deciding where I need to go. Or he likes what I'm doing here on Earth. So if you have a child and you're like, you know, I want to talk to them about religion, but I don't know how to bring it up. Do I... Yeah. What I think is a very fast... A very... um uh interesting way of bringing up religion to somebody who has never had interest in it and doesn't know anything about it is use the Bible as a historic book. It's a book. It's a brilliant book. Let them read it. Let them learn it. Let them ask you about it. I find the Bible very fascinating in terms of its links with science. So for me, who's very scientifically minded, I thought the plagues, fascinating science uh, correlation, which we're going to be talking about as we get into uh, um, Exodus and all that. Now, you know, there's the, the the sea turning to blood. Was that red tide? Was the darkness and the locust flying because of the nearby volcano that apparently happened during that time near Egypt? So. I think you know so you know if you look at the Bible as look I'm not forcing you to live by this I'm not forcing you but take a look and see what's in it and see if anything calls to you see of the teachings I thought that Solomon um uh the story of Solomon where he had to decide between two moms one stole another one's baby and Solomon had to decide which mom uh, the, the baby belonged to and so he said, Cut the baby in half. You get half of the baby, you get the other half. One of the moms said, fine by me. The other mom said, Oh, God, no. Do, do, I, let her have the baby. Just, just keep the baby alive. He goes, You're the real mom. Now, the, these are fascinating whether it really did happen in history or not. You know, there, there's there's fascinating stories from the Bible. And I think Introducing kids to this, if they're learning Shakespeare, if they're learning, you know, why not learn about some of these stories? And what does that mean to you? What do you get from it? And then also, let them see what religions are out there. Let them go to church. Let them go to temple. See how it, you know, how did you feel? What did you pick up on? You know, And some people might say, you know, I really didn't get all the prayers and all that, but I loved the sense of community. Nobody was making fun of each other. People were hugging each other. You felt like you had a family. And what you start to notice, because I see this with adults, some adults use religion as a compass. Some adults use religion as they're scared not to. That's just the way it's always been. But others use it as that's their community. That's where they could be like. Nobody likes them, but they like them in church. They like them in temple. And so you want your children to know that, you know, if ever they need in life, you know, they need medicine. There's doctors, counselors, there's counselors, food, there's groceries, jobs. You you want the child to know that if they need something, they could reach out. So spiritual health, they need to know what's out there for that. So I like the idea of kids being introduced to religion. I'm I'm a fan of religion. I don't think it needs to be forced. But I think looking at at, at the Bible as a historical document, looking at the science of it, the teachings of it, the emotion, what things were like, you know, I have a book that was written right after the Titanic sank, and they were still looking for this man that dressed up as a woman. So you see how new the book was. It's a fascinating piece of literature showing what they were thinking back then. In fact, they were talking about how shocked, how, how chaotic it was because some women weren't wearing their hats. You, I, Somebody like me, I would have. Been really, I, If I ever traveled through time, I, I would totally need a complete makeover because somebody would look at me like I, I was alien. But, you know, it, it, it is a time capsule bringing you back to what they were thinking and let let these kids talk about it. If they think it's practical, if they think it's realistic, if it has applications or not, that's OK, because with religion, many of us do that already. One eight seven seven 877 don't go away.
6: If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com.